Well, let's go ahead and ask the Lord's blessing upon our, our study this evening. Oh Lord, Thou art our light and our salvation. We put our faith and our trust in Thee. Uh, Lord, Thou hast uh, declared us righteous in Christ, and Thou art sanctifying us in Christ. And all that we have, all the benefits, everything that we enjoy uh, by way of spiritual and material benefits to us as believers is because we are in Christ. And so, Lord, we rejoice in thy redemption and provision for us and ask that thou would bless now as we seek to understand and, and to apply thy word to our lives. Give us thy spirit, for Father, we recognize our, our own ignorance and our own weaknesses uh, that we, Lord, might have the mind of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. So John chapter 17, verses 17 through 19. <clears throat> Once again, John 17, 17 through 19. So this is again the Lord Jesus praying to the Father on behalf of his disciples, including us. And he prays, Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. By way of review, and I'll repeat what we've noted in past Bible studies, there are four things that the Lord Jesus is praying for on behalf of his disciples. First of all, for their preservation. Second, for their sanctification. Third, for their unification or unity. And fourth, for their glorification. We have already covered Christ's prayer for the preservation of his disciples. We're right in the midst of his prayer dealing with the sanctification of his disciples. When the Lord prayed for the preservation of his disciples, including us, he didn't pray that we would be removed uh, entirely from uh, temptations, from evil, from trials, from suffering, from afflictions, troubles in this world. He didn't pray that we would be taken out of the midst of those so that they uh, have no effect uh, upon us in any way, but he prayed that we might be preserved through them, that we might be kept through them, not that we would be preserved from them, but that we would be preserved while even passing through them, that he prayed that our faith would not fail. Uh, he prays that our faith would not fail, uh, that we would again grow through those trials, uh, that we would see that all of those trials are like students learning in the school of Christ how to walk in faithfulness and obedience to Christ. It's those trials that strengthen us, uh, that the Lord uses to test us and to strengthen us. It's the winds that blow against the trees that send the roots deeper and deeper and deeper uh, down into the, the soil so they become stronger, uh, not weaker. And so, Filling our minds 
with his truth because what we have just read, sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Filling our minds with Christ's truth uh, in order that we think Christ's thoughts about our sin. Not our own thoughts about our sin. We want to think Christ's thoughts. That's where the truth comes in. To think what Christ thinks, what Jesus thinks about our sin. We can minimize our sin. Jesus never minimizes our sin. Uh, we need to have the mind of Christ. Think his thoughts about our sin. To think his thoughts about, our, about his righteousness. To think his thoughts about our marriage. To think his thoughts about our children. To think his thoughts about the world around us and, and the corrupt leadership and, and just the turmoil, the wars. To think his thoughts, not our own, his thoughts. Uh, to think his thoughts about the church of Jesus Christ. To think his thoughts about temptations that we face, suffering, trials, heartaches, troubles. You see, that's what it means to be sanctified through the truth. To think Christ's thoughts about whatever it is that we're facing. Where do we find Christ's thoughts? In his word, in his truth. That's why it's so important to fill our minds um, with his truth. Before moving on uh, to John 17, 18, as I said, we covered verse 17. We considered that last week. But I, I want to spend probably most of the time that we will, uh, Lord willing, get to verses 18 and 19 tonight. I wanted to spend most of our time, uh, I think this evening, uh, reviewing, which I think we've probably covered these topics in the past in uh, perhaps a Bible study sermons, um, in your preparation to come to the Lord's Supper. But I wanted to review this because it's very, very important that we understand the difference between justification and sanctification. And if we, if we do not understand uh, the difference between these two important doctrines, uh, we are going to be confused about many things that happen in our life and what God is doing. Um, it's very important we understand that um, justification and sanctification are benefits that Jesus Christ purchased for us when he died upon the cross. But if we do not, again, understand uh, the meaning and the application of these, these two truths and benefits of Christ's redemption, there will be, I have seen it over and over again in the lives of Christians, people I believe are genuinely saved. But there's much confusion, there's much discouragement because they don't understand the difference between these two doctrines. And so, let's look at these two doctrines. We want to compare and contrast what the Bible teaches with regard to justification and sanctification. I think that both of these are well summarized in the Shorter Catechism. And we're going to look first at justification. But question 33 in the Shorter Catechism asks, what is justification? And this is the answer. Justification is an act of God's free grace wherein he pardoneth all our sins and accepteth us as righteous in his sight only 
for the righteousness of Christ imputed to us and received by faith alone. So let's break that down. First of all, justification is an act of God's free grace. An act, not acts, plural, but an act, whereby God once and for all declares us, not repeated, declares us to be righteous. In Romans 5.1, we read, <clears throat> Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice it is in the past tense, therefore being justified. It doesn't say, therefore continuing to be justified by faith. No, we, we are once and for all justified. It is an act of God's free grace. Then we move from that, wherein God pardons all our sins. Not some of our sins, not 90% of our sins, not merely the sins from the past, but even the sins that we shall yet commit in the future. All our sins are pardoned and forgiven by God. The slate is wiped clean entirely before God as judge. As he is our judge, and as he is the only one who can judge us with that absolute righteousness and justice, he freely pardons all our sins. Not because any of us are worthy of that, but because out of his free mercy and love and grace, he pardons our sins, all of them. The next portion of the, that definition of justification, he accepts us as righteous in his sight. He accepts us as righteous in his sight, not for our righteousness. He accepts us as righteous in his sight for the, because of the righteousness of Christ. We could never be righteous in his sight on the basis of our own righteousness. No matter how hard we try to work as sinners, we all fall short of that perfect righteousness which God requires. He doesn't require, uh, again, in order to be right and justified before him, he doesn't require 75% righteousness or 85% or 95% or 99 and 9 tenths percent, he requires 100% righteousness to be acceptable in his sight. Perfection. And that can only be found in Jesus. He lived a perfectly holy life. He never sinned in thought, word, and deed. So when God declares us to be righteous, he doesn't declare us to be righteous. He doesn't justify us. That's what it means to justify, is to declare one righteous. He doesn't declare us righteous uh, uh, based upon ourselves. He doesn't look inside of us to find some righteousness in, in us. The righteousness is outside of us. The righteousness is in Christ. That's, that's where he looks uh, to find the righteousness that, that justifies us in Christ. Colossians 2.13, I mention, didn't mention this when I was talking about all sin is forgiven, but in Colossians 2.13, we read... <clears throat> And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. 
That's true in justification. This justification, again, is, is perfect. Um, it cannot be improved upon. We cannot, we cannot make ourselves more justified than we are. It's absolutely perfect. Why? Again, because it's not us that the Lord is looking at and our righteousness. It's Christ and his righteousness. So in his sight, as judge, he again declares us righteous based upon that which is perfect. In Romans chapter 5, verse 18, we read, <clears throat> Therefore, as by the offense of one, that is Adam, judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, Jesus, the second Adam, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. By his act, we are declared righteous. <clears throat> this righteousness, again, uh, is not something, when God declares this righteous in justification, he doesn't infuse us with that righteousness and then look upon us and say, I've put my righteousness within that person and therefore I declare them to be righteous. It's imputed, not infused. There's a difference and we'll, we'll look at that a little more closely in a moment, but imputed means it's credited to our account. To be infused means that it's, it's implanted within us. Okay, so when we are justified, it's not because God implants within us his righteousness and therefore declares us to be righteous because once anything is implanted within this sinful vessel, guess what? It's affected by sin. How can, again, we be justified even if we, there is a, a sense in which we'll talk about in relationship to sanctification in just a moment as we contrast the two, there is an implantation within us of God's holiness, but again, because of sin, we're, we're not perfectly holy, are we? We continue to sin. It affects what God implants within us. Our sin affects that. So we cannot be justified and declared, declared righteous on the basis of what he implants within us. It has to be imputed to us, credited to us. Christ's righteousness has to be credited to us. Think in terms of a bank account, okay? When a transaction takes place in your bank account, uh, you don't have that in your wallet. Uh, it's in the bank, and yet it's been credited to your account. So likewise, uh, in the account that each of us has before God, as it were, God doesn't put that righteousness by which we're justified in us in our back pocket, in our soul, or uh, soul, or heart, or spirit, um, it's put into a, an account that God again views us as being righteous because Christ's righteousness has been transferred into our account. So that that's what it means when it says when it speaks of the imputation of Christ's righteousness. In other words, Christ would have to cease to be righteous before we could be viewed before God as unrighteous. That's the glory. 
I've never been justified or declared righteous on the basis of my righteousness. It's always been on the basis of his. His righteousness would have to become unrighteousness before my standing before God could be changed at all so that he would view me as unrighteous. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, <clears throat> and this is that verse that speaks of the imputation of our sin. It's Jesus is not infused on the cross. He was not infused with our sin. He was imputed our sins. So his sin was credited, our sin was credited to his account so that he, by God, was was viewed as being a sinner and he was judged and his righteousness was imputed to our account, credited to our account. A double imputation. Our sin to him, his righteousness to us. He was not infused with our sin, we're not infused with his righteousness. It is a, a transaction, it's a, it's, again theologically it's called a forensic uh, uh, forensic uh, imputation of righteousness and of sin. Uh, it happens legally, forensically, legally, uh, not subjectively unto us. The subjective part of salvation is with regard to our sanctification. Okay, The objective part of our salvation is related to our justification and our adoption. This is this justification by is by faith alone, by faith alone, not uh, by faith plus good works. Faith alone, in Christ alone. And the promise of God is, if you believe, if you trust in Jesus alone for your eternal salvation, you turn away from any good works that you would offer to God or you turn away from anything within you that you think might make you acceptable before God, you turn away from that and you say, I'm unworthy. I can only beat my chest and say, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. But as we do so and we receive Christ as our Savior, as our Lord, that he promises that we will be then declared righteous before God, now and for all eternity. By faith alone, Romans chapter 3, verse 28 says, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law, without the works of the law, the deeds, without anything within us, anything we can do, anything that would make us acceptable without the deeds of the law. And understand, again, that justification, there are no degrees of justification. There aren't those that are more justified than others. Everyone who is justified is justified to the same degree, because what is the standard is Christ's righteousness, and there are no degrees of Christ's righteousness. It is perfect. Everyone who is declared righteous by God is therefore righteous as Jesus, no degrees of justification. So the, the question is whether you're justified, not how much you're justified. We are either justified or we're not justified. There are no degrees of justification. In Acts 13.39, with regard to what I just noted, we read Acts 13.39. This is a sermon 
by the Apostle Paul. He says, Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. A perfect justification. No degrees. And justification, finally, before uh, we move on to talk about a couple false views of justification. Finally, justification delivers us once and for all from the condemning wrath of God as judge. Romans 8.1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. That's, again, the evidence. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit, is the evidence of the fact that we are justified. When we walk, when we, when we just continue to walk after the flesh, and not after the Spirit, spirit well, that, that indicates not that we lost our justification, that indicates we were never justified in the first place. And that's all we want to do is just walk after the flesh and not after the spirit. So, a couple of false views with regard to justification. First, the Roman Catholic view of justification. The Roman Catholic view is that we are not declared righteous by God, we are made righteous by God. Remember we said just a few moments ago, we talked about imputation of Christ's righteousness. He doesn't infuse us with his righteousness because whatever he implants and infuses us with, it's mixed with our nature, corruption, and therefore he cannot justify us and declare us righteous upon that which is, in, is put within us. It must be an alien righteousness, a, 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 a righteousness outside of ourselves. Okay? Uh, Christ's righteousness. Roman Catholic view is that God implants within us his holiness, his righteousness, and then as he looks upon that righteousness and holiness within us, he declares us to be righteous. And again, it sounds good, but again, we know that um, that is not something, as we've noted, we are sinners. We don't stop sinning because he puts his righteousness within us. We don't stop sinning uh, because he puts his holiness within us. Uh, we continue to sin. How can we be ever justified, therefore, on the basis of something within us? We can't. Whatever God implants within us, whether it's, again, his love, whether it's faith, whether it's repentance, whether it's holiness, uh, is always going to be mixed with our sin. Uh, to varying degrees, uh, because we're sinners. That's, again, uh, an erroneous uh, view of justification. Um, that's not what the Bible teaches. It teaches he doesn't put within us, infuses his righteousness, and then declares righteous. We are declared righteous on the basis of Christ's righteousness, which is uh, imputed to us, to our account. Okay, that's again the difference between the Protestant and the Roman Catholic view of justification. One other matter, uh, error, serious error, um, a heretical view uh, with regard to justification in the Roman Catholic uh, view of justification is that justification is not by faith alone. It's the, in the Roman Catholic view, it's, it's justification by faith plus works. Um, in fact, 
um, Council of Trent condemns the view uh, that we are justified by faith alone, condemns that and says and pronounces an anathema, uh, damnation upon anyone who holds that view of justification by faith alone. So their view is um, we are, God declares us righteous by faith, yes, but in addition to faith, works. Either that which he implants within us or our, our own efforts, our own works uh, as well by way of obedience, by way of love, that we are, according to the Roman Catholic view, justified on the basis of, of that. So again, uh, that we believe is contrary uh, to the biblical view of justification. One other error, uh, erroneous view, is that of federal vision. Now, this is not, strictly speaking, a Roman Catholic view, though it does tend to um, take from the Roman Catholic view certain positions that are very similar, but it is really a, a view that's held even by many who, pro, who profess to be reformed. Uh, federal vision, sadly. Um, but basically, um, I'll narrow it down. I'll uh, just say that this federal vision view uh, says that there are two justifications. Uh, there's the initial justification when we're converted, where God declares us to be righteous. But there's also a, a justification uh, at the final judgment. Uh, and uh, if the final justification uh, doesn't match up with the initial justification, it's the final justification that God looks to and, and not the initial justification. I'm simplifying it, but, uh, but basically, again, um, that final justification is really the only justification that truly matters uh, because... Uh, uh, that final justification uh, could be, in fact, different uh, from the initial justification. And so, um, basically, it ends up being then a justification on the basis of works. Uh, because that's what, you know, final judgment is looking at uh, the works of those who are justified as well as the works of those who are not justified. But we ought not to draw the conclusion because God is judging, uh, that he is judging all men, whether justified or not justified, that he is going to, to have a separate and distinct justification from the initial justification. Why does God judge we who are already justified. Again, he does so, uh, the scripture teaches and our um, confession and catechism teaches, he does so to show forth uh, both his justice and his mercy. His justice that our sins have been truly paid for. We deserve condemnation. Our, our final judgment will reveal that all who are justified are sinners, right? We don't deserve what we're about to receive, everlasting life. It will reveal that about us, every one of us. But it will reveal that Jesus is the one who paid for our sins and whose righteousness that we've trusted in as being our only righteousness that is acceptable before God. And so it will reveal his justice that he's not just winking at our sins, our sins were paid for, but not by us. They were paid for by Jesus. So we'll reveal, our final judgment will reveal his justice, God's justice, but also reveal his mercy. He didn't have to rescue us. He didn't have to save us. He chose to do so because he set his love upon us. 
and so will reveal both his mercy and his justice. So for the unjustified, uh, that final judgment is a judgment to condemnation. Remember these, these two uh, ways of explaining uh, this. I think it, it's very short phrases, but we'll, if you can remember this, it will be very helpful for you as you think about the final judgment. For the unjustified, that final judgment be, will be a judgment to condemnation. To those who are justified, the final judgment will be a judgment to, not to condemnation, but to vindication. He will vindicate us. He will acquit us. He will reveal that we have been acquitted. We have been forgiven. We have had Christ's righteousness imputed to us. So it's not a judgment, a final judgment to condemnation for we who trust in Christ and are justified. It's a, it's a, a final judgment to vindicating us and acquit, uh, demonstrating our acquittal uh, before God as judge. As I said, we're, this, this portion of the study um, will be probably most of what we talk about this evening, but now we, I had to lay the foundation of what justification is, first of all, in order to be able to contrast justification with sanctification. So um, we need to hear that anyway, don't we? We need to be reminded of those truths anyway. Um, that's our everlasting assurance, is Jesus and his perfect righteousness. But now let's move to talk about sanctification. So once again, let's go to the Shorter Catechism. Question 35, what is sanctification? Sanctification is the work, not the act. Justification is an act of God's free grace. Once, not repeated. Sanctification is the work. It's a process. It's repeated over and over and over throughout our whole life. It's the work of God's free grace. Justification is an act of God's free grace. Sanctification is a work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man the whole man being our, our spirit and our body, our mind, our emotions, our will. Our whole man is being transformed, changed, conformed to the image of Christ. Whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more that more and more implies, again, gradually a process that goes on in the life of a Christian. We are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. All right, so again, let me break this down. So sanctification is continuous. Uh, it's repeated. It's a repeated work of God's free grace. Whereas in justification, sin is pardoned and forgiven, in sanctification, sin is subdued within us. Okay? Uh, God subdues sin. That's manifesting itself. So that, again, we are dying more and more to sin and living more and more to righteousness. He subdues sin. In sanctification, it's not perfect in this life. None of us reach a perfect state of sanctification in this life. Only when we are glorified with the Lord will, will we reach a, a perfect state of uh, sanctification entirely, wholly uh, sanctified 
in an absolute sense, because we'll be like Christ uh, at that time. So it's not perfect in this life, <clears throat> but it is ever growing into conformity to Christ and his image. Now in sanctification, there is implanted within us um, the spiritual DNA of Jesus Christ. Uh, his love, um, his, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, uh, faith, faithfulness, meekness, temperance, or self-control. Those are implanted with, within us, the spiritual DNA of Christ. Again, it's not perfect because once it's implanted within us, uh, there's a whole issue of sin, right? But it has been implanted within us and we uh, don't have to ask that the Lord give us love because as Christians it's already been implanted within us. The issue is, Lord, help me to manifest the love that has been implanted within me. Help me to show forth the peace of God and, and peace with one another and humility or meekness. That's all been implanted within me. So the spiritual DNA of Christ, uh, his righteousness and holiness, there is that in sanctification that has been implanted within us. But it's, that's not the basis upon which we're justified. That's again what God uses within us to be sanctified, to grow, to put off the sin and to put on righteousness uh, through what he has implanted and sown within us so that we are a new creation in Jesus Christ because he has implanted this within us. We're not the same person uh, once we are converted uh, to Christ and that, that takes place within us, we can't be the same person. To be the same person that we were before we were converted, truly converted, uh, is to deny the whole matter of what conversion, what sanctification does. Uh, what regeneration does. Regeneration uh, changes us and sanctification carries that regeneration through the rest of our life until we are glorified and with the Lord. <clears throat> and so in sanctification, yes, there is the infusion not in justification infusion, that's imputation. In sanctification, there is infusion. There impl the impl implantation, the sowing of God's seed within us that grows within us to bear fruit to the glory of God. Also, understand in sanctification, this is another contrast. We said there are no degrees of justification. There are degrees of sanctification. Not every true Christian is at the same degree of sanctification. There are degrees. As the Lord says in, in his parable, there, there's uh, by way of fruit that comes forth 30, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold by way of harvest, and by way of fruit that's produced. So there are degrees of sanctification in this life, not of justification. Very important we understand, again, the difference between justification and sanctification with regard to that. Justification is perfect, immediately. And for the rest of this life and eternity, doesn't change because it's based upon Christ's righteousness, but sanctification is growth. Sanctification changes. There are different degrees of sanctification among saints in this life. 
not all grow at the same rate of growth. Now that we don't want to justify and say, well, pastor said that we don't all grow at the same rate, therefore I can, I can uh, just uh, take it very slow and uh, easy and I don't need to worry about anything because, you know, we don't all grow at the same rate. No, that's, um, we leave that up to, again, the Lord. Each of us should be wanting to grow uh, at the greatest rate possible. That should be our desire. We shouldn't be saying, well, I'm just growing too fast here uh, as a Christian. I'm growing too much in holiness. Uh, I'm growing to be, be, look too much like Jesus. And I've got to slow down here. Uh, that should never be the case with any of us. But we have to recognize still, we don't all grow at the same rate and we don't, we're not at the same level of sanctification. But, and this is an important but, all who have been justified and all who are being sanctified all pursue, desire and pursue holiness. All who are being sanctified because they have been justified desire holiness and pursue it. So, just have a, a, just a few more things to say with regard to the contrast between these, and then I wanted to point out a couple errors also with regard to sanctification. So, again, understand this contrast. In justification, we're forgiven all our sins once and for all before God as a judge, righteous judge according to Colossians 2, uh, 13. His condemning wrath is forever removed, according to Romans 8, 1. In sanctification, uh, we are daily forgiven. So you ask, well, if we are uh, forgiven all of our sins in justification, why do we need to confess any sins daily? Uh, that doesn't seem uh, to be consistent. Well, again, God as judge forever forgives us all our sins. But now that we are believers in Christ, God has become our father in adoption. He has adopted us into his family so that we daily bring our sins to him, not as our judge, but as our father. Whenever a child and a, and, and a father or a parent have a falling out, there's a rift in the relationship, right? Uh, it affects the relationship. Doesn't mean that the father kicks the child out of the family, but there is a, a problem with fellowship. There's a problem with communion. And again, because the, our Heavenly Father can't sin, if there's a rift in the relationship with our Heavenly Father, guess whose fault it must be? Our fault. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Psalm 66, verse 18. It affects our relationship with Him. So we don't come to God as judge in our sanctification as if to try to repeat over and over and over again our justification we come to God as a reconciled and loving father against whom we've sinned and we say father the Lord's prayer forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors our father which art in heaven not our judge which art in heaven but now, our Father, which art in heaven, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. So that's why, again, that's, that's the, uh, what happens in our sanctification uh, is that we are uh, 
seeking to have our fellowship and our communion with our Father restored when we sin against Him, when we break His commandments. We don't want to live in this, uh, in this distance from our Father, from the Lord Jesus. We want to live in that close, near communion with Him. But if we regard iniquity in our hearts, He's not going to hear us. Uh, that fellowship and communion is going to be hindered. It's going to seem perhaps at times like uh, he's a million miles away, when in fact he's not, obviously. He's everywhere. He's, he's always with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. But he takes from us that sense, our sensing his presence. He doesn't withdraw. He cannot withdraw from us. He's bound himself to us, but he, he, he takes from us the sense of his presence uh, so that we, we don't, we don't uh, sense him being with us and near us. And so, again, I don't want to live my, my life uh, in, in a way where I profess to be a Christian and yet sense that God's a million miles away from me. I want to live my life as a Christian where uh, I sense that he's with me, he's near me. Um, even when we are walking in faithfulness to him, doesn't guarantee that he will always grant us the blessing of his, uh, a sense of his presence. Sometimes, even when we're seeking to walk in faithfulness to, to, to the Lord, he withdraws the sense of his presence why? In order to drive us to pursue even more and more and more uh, that communion with him. Here are a couple um, sinful extremes to avoid in true biblical sanctification. First of all uh, is perfectionism. There are certain churches uh, and Christians that teach that one can be perfect, reach a point of what they call entire sanctification in this life, and reach a state or a, reach a place of uh, perfection in this life, sinlessness. Uh, the Bible clearly does not teach that. Uh, none of the apostles reach that place. Uh, Jesus only reached that place. We have the sins, you know, given to us on the part of the apostles themselves and of the saints of old, those who find themselves mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 in the hall of fame of faith. Uh, none of them were sinless. In fact, in 1 John uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 10, <clears throat> John here is speaking to believers. He says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So we, we have to avoid that, first of all, that sinful extreme of perfectionism. But then the pendulum always swings to the opposite extreme uh, in these discussions. And the opposite extreme is <clears throat> uh, where, again, uh, that we believe that there is no, uh, maybe this isn't maybe framing it as a, a, the opposite, opposite extreme, I suppose the opposite extreme would be uh, a view of sanctification where we just believe that there's no way that we can ever um, be sanctified in this life. That uh, we're, we're, so, we're so rotten, uh, we're so um, uh, weak, uh, that we, we can never grow in our Christian life. Uh, so that would be the opposite extreme. Direct opposite is to say, you know, uh, we can reach perfectionism, and the other says there's no way that I can even be sanctified in this life. Um, but again, 
uh, why, why do we find all of the places in the scripture that speak of uh, uh, our being sanctified? In fact, in, um, I believe it's First uh, Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, says uh, that we are to be sanctified. He commands us to, to be sanctified for this is the will of God. This is the will of God concerning you, your sanctification. So uh, that, that is something that we certainly, by God's grace, we can be sanctified. Um, uh, in Hebrews 12, 14, without holiness, no, no man will see God. So uh, if, again, we cannot be sanctified in this life, then uh, you know, no man can be sanctified in this life, then uh, uh, heaven's gonna be empty. Uh, except for God um, and uh, the, the angels that never fell. Uh, but that's not what the Bible teaches. Uh, the Bible teaches that uh, we uh, can be sanctified. We can be growing in our uh, walk with the Lord. We can learn, uh, and we ought not to view that as something hopeless because it's not ultimately my power, your power, it is the power of God working in us that sanctifies us. It's the death of Christ, my union by faith and trust in him. I'm united to Christ so that in, when he died, I died to sin with him. In his resurrection, because of my union with Jesus Christ, I was raised to new life. And so I do have, I can do all things, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So this is not something hopeless, our sanctification in this life. And don't let the enemy tell you it's hopeless. Uh, you can be sanctified. In fact, all who will be with the Lord in heaven will be continuing growing uh, in this life to be sanctified. Every single last one uh, will do so. Um, but there's, so those are the two opposite extremes, but there is also this I want to uh, mention. There is a view of sanctification that uh, basically says uh, there's no effort required on our parts at all to be sanctified. All we need to do is let go and let God. Uh, you know, just God does everything. Uh, uh, I don't have to do anything at all. Uh, all I need to do is simply believe. No effort on my part. Well, again, that's contrary to what Bi the Bible teaches. Matthew 16, 24, says, Jesus says that if any man would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross. Now, to take up a cross doesn't sound like something... Uh, that is uh, pleasant to take up a cross, that we are to daily die to self, take up the cross and follow me. Uh, in 2 Corinthians 10, verses three through five, uh, Paul says that we are to take every thought captive to the obedience to, uh, uh, to Christ. Uh, in other words, we're to overcome uh, by God's grace, with his strength, we're to overcome those sinful thoughts in our life. Uh, take them captive. Take them hostage. Uh, that's effort on our part. We're doing something, but we're, again, it's God working in us. Uh, 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8. Exercise yourselves to godliness. Exercise. Uh, don't lay on the couch and say, uh, Lord, lift... Uh, Lift up my hand, lift up my feet, uh, uh, close my eyes to that, that temptation on the computer, you know, close my eyelids. Uh, again, um, this is not what sanctification is about. It, it does. We, we commit our hands, our feet, we dedicate our, our eyes, our ears, our mouths. We uh, present ourselves our entire selves as living sacrifices to God. That's what Paul says in Romans 12, verses one uh, through two. So exercise yourselves to God, godliness. Hebrews 12, one, run the race 
that is set before you. Um, yeah, it's exhausting sometimes. Running the Christian race is exhausting. Uh, do we want to give up sometimes? Do we, do we say, do we think this is just too hard? Yeah, we, we all struggle with this. But we can't. If we started the race, and we truly started the race, God will not let us stop. He will not let us uh, um, go in, you know, into the stands and watch everybody else run the race. We have to run the race. But we do so in the strength of Christ, through our union with Christ in his death and resurrection. Just these closing thoughts, and so we won't get to verses 18 and 19. We'll pick that up next week, but just some closing thoughts. Sanctification uh, is not present in only some that are justified, uh, but rather sanctification is present in all, 100%, all that are justified. In fact, sanctification is the practical evidence of our justification. How do we know and how do we have assurance that we are justified, practically speaking? I mean, we have the assurance of God's promise, first and foremost, that if we believe, he will forgive, he will justify us. So we have his promise, that's most important. But practically speaking, how do we, how do we know that we're justified? Well. Uh, because we are being sanctified. We are growing in the grace. We want to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. It's the work of the Holy Spirit and the means that he uses. Jesus prayed in John 17, uh, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So the means that the Lord uses to sanctify us is his word is his truth. That's how we have communion with Christ, through the word and prayer. He uses those as means to sanctify us. Sanctification leads us to loving obedience to God's commandments. And then loving obedience to God's commandments leads us to sanctification. And then sanctification leads us to loving obedience to God's commandments. And then love, loving obedience to God's commandments leads us to sanctification. It's a reciprocal relationship. The more we're being sanctified, the more we want to lovingly obey God. The more we lovingly want to obey God, the more we're being sanctified and growing. So if we confuse, and this is the final thought, if we confuse justification and sanctification, <clears throat> we will either be in a constant state of losing our justification, because we're looking at our justification as sanctification, which changes and changes, rather than looking at justification as unchangeable. So if we confuse the two, we'll either be in constant fear of losing our justification, or we'll go to the other extreme where we believe we can't sin uh, because we judge our sanctification uh, to be essentially our justification. And uh, which, again, we may understand justification properly, that that can't change, but if we confuse that with sanctification and we basically view sanctification as being justification, then we'll basically say, since I'm perfectly justified, I must be perfectly sanctified. He can't confuse them. That's why it's important that they be kept separate. Uh, there are wonderful blessings that God has given to us, but, uh, and we should rejoice in them uh, daily. Uh, but they are distinct and separate, and yet they're inseparable from one another. Justification always leads to sanctification, and sanctification must always have before it, preceding it, justification. So they're in, they're always uh, connected in that way, 
but they, are, they cannot overlap. We must not allow them to overlap so that they become some kind of a, a mixture uh, of the two. Um, now they ought to be distinct from one another. Okay, well, let's uh, ask the Lord's blessing upon what we have studied this evening that uh, these truths might, uh, we might reflect uh, on them and, and uh, take them with us not just uh, uh, having heard them, but uh, applied them in our lives. Heavenly Father, uh, <clears throat> sanctify us through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And thou hast revealed, Lord, to us thy truth concerning justification and sanctification. And help us, our God, uh, to uh, think upon these things, to meditate upon them, to... Uh, rejoice uh, in them uh, to praise Thee uh, that when we trust in Christ alone for our eternal salvation that these are the benefits that Jesus applies to us because they were purchased for us. Lord, we uh, do pray continue to perfect uh, the work which has been begun in us, and even until, until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen.